Acts chapter three is one of the greatest places to look about what happens when the gospel spills out from the church into its city. And so we're gonna look today at Acts three, three things that I wanna show you. First, we're gonna see the city. Then second, the church in the city. And then third, joy for the city. So the city, the church in the city, and joy for the city. So let's start, what does this passage tell us about the city? Well, Acts 3 is taking place in Jerusalem. That was one of the major cities of the ancient world. We're told in verse 1 that Peter and John were on their way to the temple. And in verse 2, as they're on their way, they see they're sitting at a gate, a man who was lame from birth. Now, that's important. Here they are on their way into the temple, but before they get there, outside passages they see someone in great need. In other words, this passage is taking place in the city. They're not in church yet. This isn't a church program. This is the streets of the city. And that's significant because we haven't looked at it yet. We'll actually look at it in a few weeks' time. But in Acts 2, the very end of the chapter, what do we see? We see this first church gathered together in what I can best describe as a really cozy, comfortable environment. Let me read to you a few verses from the end of Acts chapter 2. Right before Acts 3, it says this, They, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This is Sunday roast in Jerusalem. I mean, this is, we're together, there's good food, everything is just as it should be, we're with the people that we love, this is awesome. There's a temptation, that's Acts 2. And you know, for many Christians and for many churches, there's a temptation, isn't there, to, without even knowing it, begin isolating yourself from the challenges and the pressures of the city. And we form a kind of cozy club as Christians, in which we have warm friendship and deep community, and we just kinda stay together. That is one of the temptations, even for those of us who just had a weekend away, it was great. The weather was perfect, the food was good, everything was fun. But what the, uh, the author of Acts does is he doesn't leave the church in Acts 2, this cozy, comfortable setting. You see, yes, we need to be a church that gathers, but what's the purpose of our gathering? so that we can be refreshed in our mission to the city. Acts 2 spills out into Acts 3. What was this cozy church gathered together in warmth and fellowship is now a church that's sent out, scattered into the city to encounter need and brokenness. We go from those, actually from Acts 3 on, we're gonna see persecution come into the life of the church. Because when we go from those cozy spaces of gathering out into the city, it's hard and it's messy, and it's complicated. But that's what the church is meant to be. And so for us, the first thing to see this morning is the church must be the church as it gathers, but also as it scatters. We're the church as we gather together on Sunday, but also as we're scattered into the city. And what happens when Peter and John, as the church, are scattered into the city? Look again. They encounter incredible need. So as they're on their way to the temple, being the church in the city, They encounter a man who is lame from birth. He has a form of paralysis. He can't walk. And so as they see this man, what they experience is someone who's suffering physically, can't walk, but also financially. 
He was not able to provide for himself. He was in a condition of poverty. And so he was begging for money, for silver and gold, hoping thereby to get things for himself that he desperately needed. And this honor, as they're in the city, a man of incredible need, physically, financially, socially, this is a person who has needs. And here's the second thing that we learn about the church in the city. It's not just the city is the place where the church is scattered, but also the city is a place that's filled with inequity. It's really interesting how the author Luke shows us this. Where is all this happening? Look again at the text. It's happening at the gate called beautiful. This is really stunning. The temple complex, the place that Peter and John were going, the temple in Jerusalem, it was a really big complex and there were many different gates that would allow you to enter into its main court. But this particular gate, the beautiful gate, we know a lot about. It was literally a beautiful gate. It was stunning. It was about 75 feet tall, and it was made out of Corinthian brass. Now, I don't never seen Corinthian brass, but historians tell us it was really something to behold. One historian says Corinthian brass and gold. The gate was more beautiful than all the other gates of the temple, even though they were made of silver and gold. So this is a stunning gate. Big, tall, artistically designed, and of immense value. And friends, are you beginning to see the irony, the inequity? That here in front of this incredibly artistic and expensive gate is sitting a human being who can't walk and doesn't have enough food to eat. The city is a place of inequity. In front of incredible beauty and wealth stands a person in tremendous need. And you know, that's one of the marks of all cities, especially big ones. Cities like London are places of inequity. We talked about this a little bit over our weekend away. Just as a couple of examples, we have some of the most incredible museums in all the world with priceless treasures inside of them. And on the steps and the doorways of those museums sit people begging for enough food or money to get by. Isn't it? Also, London has more billionaires than any global city in the world. And also more people living in poverty than anywhere else in the UK. We have some of the most incredible theater and people who are just struggling to get by. The city is a place of inequity. And what happens is Peter and John are making their way into the city. They encounter need. What's happening? They're both celebrating beauty, but experiencing brokenness and moving towards it as the church. And friends, that's the mission of the church. That's our mission in the city, to both celebrate and cultivate the beauty that's all around us, but at the same time to say God is calling us into broken spaces to be agents of renewal. That's the city. That's London. That's where Acts 3 is taking place, in the city. Now, that leads us to consider, well, what happens as the church gets into the city? And there are three things here that I briefly want to give you a survey over. And this is, you might, city, practical part. What does it look like when the church confronts needs in its city? And I mean that both as an institution, what happens when we as a community encounter need in London, but also and especially what happens when you experience need? What happens when you, as the church scattered throughout London, face brokenness and you bring the gospel with you? What happens? Well, three things. First, the church in the city relieves suffering. 
the church and the city relieve suffering. No, as we read this passage, you know, Peter and John heal this man through the power of Jesus. And when we read this story, we ask all kinds of questions. Some of you want to know, can miracles like this happen today? Others look more practically and say, does that mean that any person I encounter out in the city that I have a responsibility to, that I need to do something for? Let me just say off the bat, because of the variety of our situations and because of the complexity of need in our city, what I need today is a formula. This is exactly how the church is always meant to confront need and brokenness. Can't give you a specific formula. But what I can give you is a general principle. And that general principle is this. When the gospel's at work in the church, that church works to relieve suffering in the city. How that gets worked out in your specific life, that's for the Spirit of God to lead you, to give you wisdom. We process in community as we experience need. How does God want us to step into those spaces? But the general principle is that wherever the church goes in the city, it brings the gospel to bear in such a way that suffering is relieved. We see that here in Acts 3. Look with me again, verse 3. The man, as he's sitting there begging, it says, verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple court, he asked them for money. Now Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to something from them. Maybe they'll give me silver and gold. But Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, look with me what's happening. The man's asking for money. He can't even imagine. It wouldn't even dawn on him to say, hey, could you heal me? So he's asking for money. And Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold to give you. And that's really important. The reason Peter says that, it must be significant because if Peter knew all along, all I want to do is heal this guy, when the man says, could you give me some money? Peter could have said, brother, I've got something better than money for you. We're about to experience a miracle. Stand up and walk. But Peter doesn't say that. What Peter says is actually, I don't have any silver or gold, but I have something else. And the Spirit of God comes upon Peter and pronounces healing in Jesus' name, and the man's healed. But what I want you to see is when Peter says, I don't have any silver and gold, it's almost as if he's saying, I would give it to you if I did. I would give you something you need to help you in your situation. I just don't have it, but I have something else, which blew his mind. But John Calvin, writing about this passage, says something that I think is important for us to all be aware of. He puts it like this. Peter excuses himself as not possessing the kind of aid which the lame man was seeking. He thereby confesses that he would willingly relieve his poverty if he were able to do so, even as every one of us ought to consider what the Lord has given to him, that he may therewith help his neighbor. For God desires whatever wealth he has given to each man to be a means and an instrument for practicing charity. Why is that significant? Because we encounter need in our city, and we may think to ourselves, well, we can't do what Peter and John did. And A, I want to say, don't limit the Spirit of God. But B, the principle moved by is not that we need to heal or act in the same way. The question that we need to be moved by is how does God want to relieve suffering through us? 
in whatever ways he can, through whatever means we have. That's the principle that's in this passage. When the church goes into the city, it relieves suffering. So that's the first thing we need to see, but there's a second. Not only does the church, as it brings the gospel, relieve suffering, but second, notice there's a powerful personal encounter. There's a powerful personal encounter. The gospel, as it changes us, it doesn't just create people who want to serve, but it changes our hearts as we do so. The gospel, what is the gospel? It's the news that Jesus Christ loved you so much, he was glad to die for you. And yet your sin was so evil and ugly in God's sight that Jesus had to die for you. In other words, the gospel humbles us and it gives us confidence at the same time. It gives us a kind of bold humility. As a church, humble confidence as we face our world. Do you know what that means? It means that we as a church, if we're really shaped by the gospel, will never be able to feel smug or superior to people that we encounter who have needs. We'll never be able to look down our noses at other people and say, why don't they just get themselves together? Why don't they just work harder? That is a desperately unbiblical attitude because the gospel says you have needs and Jesus met you. We are all with need. And what that means is I encounter people with need. Yes, there might be practical ways I can serve, but I'm not better than them. And more than that, I need to receive something from them because they too are made in the image of God. They are a person, not just an object for pity. We see that happening in the passage. Here's the man begging. He's asking for silver and gold. And what do Peter and John do? Verse four, Peter says, Look at us. Have you known to make eye? People are begging on the streets of our city. They never look up. They're too ashamed to make eye contact. But Peter says, look at me. You're a person. I want to see your face. So the man looks at him and he expects, okay, great. I'm going to get something from these guys. And Peter says, in the name of Jesus, walk. And the man says, well, I would love to, but I can't. And what does Peter do? He reaches out his hand to lift that man up. I wonder how long it's been since someone extended a hand to this brother and said, let me lift you up. Let me help you. But what Peter does is he reaches out his hand and that reaching out of the hand, that would have given the man some courage. I, I can do this. And it would have also given him a sense of acceptance. I'm seen, I'm known. There's intimacy and contact here. In other words, the gospel at work in the church, it creates people who serve the needs of their city, not out of mechanical charity, but through personal encounter, in which we actually give our happens here wolves to our community, not just our stuff. That's what happens here in the passage. Look at us, taking him by the hand, he lifts him up. This is the kind of community that we can be shaped by the gospel. People who serve our city, seeing ourselves as part of the needy in our city and using whatever resources we have to bring healing and renewal. So, relieving suffering, personal encounter, and third, when the church serves the city, they do so in word and in deed. Word and deed. Some Christians think that the way you share God's kingdom is you just preach the gospel. You just tell people about Jesus. There are other Christians in churches who think the way you tell people about Jesus is just by doing deeds of mercy. You just show acts of love. You just relieve 
suffering. You just help people, and that is how you advance the kingdom. But what I love about the church in Acts is they do both all the time, word and deed. So you have here in Acts 3, Peter heals this man. He pronounces, the man walks. And then what happens? Verse 11 and on, Peter preaches a sermon. And the sermon isn't really about the man's healing. It's about Jesus Christ dying for sin. In other words, Peter used every excuse he could to proclaim the gospel in word and deed. And this is real evangelism. It's doing justice and preaching grace. May we be a church that doesn't just do justice or just preach grace, but does both all the time. That loves our city in word and deed. So much more I can say, but this is what happens when the gospel's alive in the church and the church is in the city. And by God, may this be true for our church, I pray. But here's the final question. What's the result of all of this? Well, joy in the city. Go back to the text, verse 8. Peter lifts the man up, and look at what it says. He jumped to his feet. He began to walk. He went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. If you know anything about the temple, it was a quiet, kind of absolutely calm environment. And here's this man jumping and dancing with delight. It would have absolutely caused a scene. But of course, this man must dance with delight. Why? He's healed. But you know, it's actually deeper than that. I think his joy, I think his dancing with delight isn't just because finally he can use his legs. But there's actually something going on that's a little bit more subtle. Notice again verse 8. He went with them into the temple courts. That's a key. In the Old Testament, there was a law that said if you had some kind of physical blemish, like a paralysis you weren't allowed into the temple courts because God's presence was holy, it was majestic, it was infinite, and anything that was blemished, anything that was imperfect couldn't come in. And so this man, as he sat every day at the beautiful gate begging, I think part of what he wanted was food and sustenance, but probably part of what he was longing for, I want to get into the temple that worships God. I want to get into the temple. I want to be where God is. And now finally, as he's healed, he gets to go into the temple. In other words, what he's experienced is not just physical healing, but now spiritual acceptance. He's part of the family. He's part of the community. And here's the question that I want us as we close to think about. What makes this possible? Why was it that Peter and John were able, as they came into the temple court, they saw this man begging They were able to pronounce this healing and with confidence see it happen. What made it possible? Two things. The first, Peter remembered his own personal experience. And the second, they had wonderful hope. So we'll end here. First, Peter remembered his own personal experience. A couple years before this, Peter and some of his friends were on the Sea of Galilee. And they were fishing. And they were begging for fish to get into the weary. It had been a rough night for them as fishermen. And they were tired, they were weary, and they had no fish that they caught. And Jesus Christ walks by the sea that day. And he sees them out on the Sea of Galilee struggling. They're trying hard to make something happen, but nothing's working. And Jesus says to them, why don't you cast your nets on the other side? And 
Peter says, look, man, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing. We've tried. It's not working. But at your word, we will let down the net. And so Jesus says, try the other side. Peter does. And this time, when they lower their nets, the net fills with fish. And Peter looks at Jesus and says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. In other words, Jesus has come to Peter and met him with overwhelming grace. And Peter's exposed. He recognizes, I'm not who I should be. I'm in sin. I'm in need. And from that moment, Jesus calls Peter and Peter follows Jesus for the rest of his life. In need. What happened? Jesus saw Peter in need. And Jesus didn't just walk by. Jesus stopped and he met him with grace. And that moment changed Peter's life forever. So now as Peter is walking by a man in need, he can't just walk by. Because Jesus didn't just walk by him. And Peter remembers when I was in need, when I was begging for fish, when I was without hope, Jesus met me with grace. And because he did, I can't walk by this man. I have to stop and give him the grace that is in Jesus. We will not be a church that serves the city unless we remember how Jesus met us in the gospel. We're not going to be able to stop and love people unless we remember that Jesus stopped all the way to the cross to bring his grace into our life, personal experience. But second, wonderful hope. Verse 12 of our passage. This fellow Israel that gathers, they say, this man's been healed. And verse 12, Peter says, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? You can almost imagine the crowd saying, what do you mean, why are we surprised? This guy couldn't walk and now he's walking. We're very surprised. But for Peter, it's a kind of rhetorical question, but here's what he's saying. Are you really surprised that this man can walk? But look at verse 15. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. In other words, Peter was so confident that Jesus rose from the dead that a lame man walking was nothing compared to Jesus coming back to life and defeating death. So Peter's saying, in other words, This shouldn't surprise you if your fundamental worldview is that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And if that power is at work in your life and at work in the church, then of course we expect it to be at work in our city. In other words, what motivated Peter and John? It was a fierce confidence of the kingdom that something happened in Jesus Christ and his defeat of death that was the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. The kingdom was peeking through in that moment. And we as a church are going to be able to move into our city and to face need and brokenness with hope if we're confident that the kingdom of God, which raised Jesus from the dead, the kingdom which shows the power of life out of death, that that kingdom is at work in and through our church. That's the confidence we need. And so we as a church will be a church alive bringing the gospel to this city if we remember how Jesus met us in the gospel and how the kingdom of God is breaking forth into London. Now as we come to a time of response, may the Spirit help us to encounter Jesus and experience his kingdom at work. Let's pray. Our God, thank you for this time, this word, this passage. But Lord, we pray that more than just information, more than just a teaching, that today we would be so shaped by our encounter with Jesus that we'd be shaped by the power of God which 
Raise Jesus from the dead, your power, that we would be a church alive in London. There's so many needs around us. There's so much brokenness. There's so much beauty. There's so much that needs cultivating. And we want to be a church alive in this city for this city. So right now, as we respond, we pray that you'd meet us. We pray that you would encounter us, that you would meet us right where we are with our burdens and questions, and that you would send us out into this city to love and serve as your representatives. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen.